activities that we can participate in to grow with Christ. So my goal this morning, if I had to boil it down, is to encourage you in your growth in Christ by meeting with God through his word. I'll say that again. My goal this morning is to encourage you in your growth in Christ by meeting with God through his word. Now that can be broken down into three, three main points, which I will be communicating through questions because I'm a question and answer type of person. First, why should we even care about our spiritual growth? Why should we even care about our spiritual growth? We are not meant to live in a spiritual stagnation, meaning our spirituality is not just something that we take the back seat on and let happen. God did not make us that way. God made us to be people that are active. He actually created us for work to do things. And the same is true spiritually. God intends for us to grow. God wants us to grow. And I'm going to read you a quote from uh, J.C. Ryle in his book he wrote in 1879 called Holiness. He said, it is a leading mark of true saints that they grow. It is a leading mark of true saints that they grow. So my shorthand for that is true Christians grow. So why should you care about your spiritual growth? Well, because if you don't, it's actually an indication there's no spiritual vitality there at all. J.C. Rao says somewhere else, private religion must receive our first attention if we wish our souls to grow. Private religion must receive our first attention if we wish our souls to grow. What he means by private religion is not some hypocrisy that takes place or or self-righteousness. He means devotion. He means personally seeking Christ through godly biblical means like Bible reading, Bible study, prayer, perhaps journaling, or a a time set in a day where you self-reflect and think upon Christ and think upon your relationship with him. So Ryle, I think we can say, puts a significance on growing by meeting with God personally. Why? Because he knows that we are leaky buckets. He knows we're leaky buckets. Without meeting with God, we'll be stuck in our sins. Though we we are saved, we still struggle with the devil. We still struggle with our own flesh, our own desires that are ungodly. (coughs) Ephesians 6, 10-20 makes it very clear that meeting with God helps us to fight sin and cling to Christ. Meeting with God also reminds us that we're not made for this world. The book of 1 Peter tells us that we're aliens. We're sojourners. Pilgrims in this world. So in a seductive world, we need this reminder daily that 
we are not meant for this world. And that is what meeting with God does. It puts, puts us in the right frame of mind, gives us the right perspective, gives us direction for our personal souls, who we are, who is God made us to be, what he wants from us, and more importantly, what he's done for us. So we should be very concerned with our spiritual growth because without it, we're like fish out of water. God has made us for it. And it is difficult at times. It's easy to become stagnated in this world that's so unspiritual at times. So focused on things that are ultimately not important. Things that will rot away. Things that can be stolen. Things that will dissolve over time. So that leads me to the next step. I said my goal this morning is to encourage you in your growth with, with Christ by meeting with God through his word. So that leaves two questions for the remainder of our time. Why meet with God? And why meet with God through his word? So first, why meet with God? I have three reasons. First, we should meet with God because we're his. We, we belong to him. We are his children. In Galatians 4, Paul tells us that God sent his son so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent his son to adopt us as his sons. As Christians, we're members of God's family. And so, meeting with God is part of us. Like every child wants to know his parents, every son wants to know his father, we are built to want to know our Heavenly Father. You know, at Thanksgiving, you don't go to the dinner table with your family because you're hungry. You go to the dinner table with your family because you want to be with your family. And that's what we do when we meet with God. We want to be with Him. We meet with God because that's what we are. That's who we are. That's who he's made us to be. We are his children, and we desire to know and love our Father. But second, we meet with God because it leads us into a deeper relationship with him. I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Philippian church in his letter to them in uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost for the sake of Christ. Because, or excuse me, indeed, I count everything as lost for the sake of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Prioritizing going to God will lead us into knowing him in a more deep way. Growth in Christ does not automatically happen. 
we we tend to think that as we as we learn more about God, that means that we're automatically going to grow in our relationship with Him. But as our knowledge about Him increases, that doesn't automatically mean that our relationship with Him grows deeper. But growing in Christ will include will include knowing Him more. So if you're going to go deeper with Christ, your knowledge about him is going to increase. But just because your knowledge about him increases doesn't mean you're going to grow deeper with him. There has to be intentional pursuit of him. So third and finally, when we begin to to know God in this intimate way, when we grow deeper in our relationship with him, it leads us to worship Him. Knowing God, knowing who we are in light of Him, and how He acts in this world will lead us to say things like Paul says in Romans, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who can know the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he would be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Knowledge of God in relationship with him overflows into worship of him. True worship depends on true knowledge of God. And through God's word, we gain true knowledge of God. That leads us to why we should meet with God through his word. And my short answer is because the word of God is critical in the life of the Christian. The word of God has played a critical role in the life of the Christian. That's my short answer. Now it's time for my long answer. First, if, back up a minute, if we are to meet with God through his word. And it's because of his critical role it's played in our life. And we should take a minute to examine the critical role the Bible has played in our life. We should meet with God through his word because God causes us to be born again through his word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 the Apostle Peter writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So God causes us to be born again through the resurrection of Christ. But then, later on in the chapter, Peter also writes this. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. What is that imperishable seed, the seed that does not perish? The living and abiding word of God. So, so Peter says you've been, God has caused you to be born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ. And then he says you've been born through the imperishable seed of the word of God. 
So what are we to do with those two truths? I mean, on the one hand, we can we can say that did Paul just or excuse me, did Peter just misspeak? I mean, did he forget that he said that we were born through Christ and and he forgot he said that, and so then later he says that we're born through the Word of God? Or does Peter use the, the phrase Word of God synonymously with Jesus' name? Like we do sometimes. They're just interchangeable. Well, I, I don't think that either one of those are good options. Most of us know that the Apostle John calls Jesus the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So because of that, some of us would see no contradiction here. Well, Ryan, Peter says that we're, God caused us to be born again through Jesus Christ, the resurrection, and then later on he says that we're, we're born again through the Word of God, and Jesus is the Word, so that settles it. Well, I don't think it's that simple. Even though I think that that's the right line to be thinking, you're going in the right direction, that doesn't just solve it, for me anyway. What, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Word of God in that way? How do those things relate to, to bring us about in our, our, our salvation, to cause us to be born again? Peter using both of these terms to talk about the means by which we're born again is, is, is a complex um, a relationship. It's a complex relationship that they, that uh, we would do well to to give our attention to. So when we talk about Jesus being the Word of God, our immediate reaction is to think the Bible, because most of us in here are Baptists, and the the long legacy of Baptists is to emphasize the high regard for the scriptures. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. But it has led to a misunderstanding when it comes to Jesus being called the word of God in scripture. Jesus is not the scriptures. And the scriptures are not Jesus. So how are we to think about this? How are we to understand it? God did more speaking and more doing throughout history, even in the Bible times, than what we have recorded in the scriptures. And we know this because the scriptures actually tell us that. In John chapter 20, verse 30, this was the theme verse for VBS. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, meaning the words that are written in the Gospel of John, were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So there's a few points that we can, we can draw from that. Here we have the acknowledgement that not all of Christ's activity, including the words that he spoke, are actually recorded for us. Jesus did many other things that we don't have a record of. And from this passage, I think it's fair that just as John records a lot of Jesus' actions and his words, that we may have life, that we may know Christ and have salvation, so God has ordained 
the, com- the compilation of events and stories that we find in Scripture so that we may have an accurate knowledge of him and know him and know his will. Meaning, God has ordained that the Bible be recorded and be written and be preserved so that we can have an accurate knowledge of him. Just as John said in his book about Jesus' life. And the end goal is that we would know him and have salvation. So the phrase word of God means more than printed words on a page. Because we emphasize it so much in our Baptist legacy, which is, which is a good thing, we have a very high standard, a high view of what the Word of God is, that it is accurate, that it is inerrant, that it is sufficient. All those are good teachings. But it gets us in this frame of mind that when we say Word of God, we can't think about Word of God in any other way other than the Bible. God is a communicator. He's a communicator of ideas, and he has been speaking into the human realm since the beginning of time, or the beginning of our existence. And he speaks in many ways. He speaks through his creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. He speaks through the ancient prophets. Thus says the Lord. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And he speaks through scripture. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We can learn to know God better by seeking to hear him in every way that he speaks. So God is a communicator of ideas and There is more than what is recorded in the Bible, yet the Bible has been ordained by God to be a tool that he uses to teach humans who he is and what he's done and to bring us to faith in Christ. Now there are at least, this is kind of technical, but I'm going to get into it. I think you'll see why whenever I get to the end. There are two words that um, are used for word in in the Greek. Um, One of them is the word logos, and it is packed with meaning. Um, The term is is, is very rich, and it can can mean logic. It can mean reason. It can mean um, a final expression of thought. It can kind of like be a culmination of things. And... Jesus as Lagos, meaning Jesus as God's word, means that Christ is the final, ultimate expression of God's um, word, his message to humanity. So Jesus is the ultimate message from God to humans. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. Many times, in many places, God has spoken to us through many different means. And he'll list them. talks about the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, meaning Jesus is the final expression of God's word, of of God's um, plan to to humanity to reveal himself to us. 
When Paul talks about this, he says he's the mystery of ages. The mystery of God's will was hidden for ages, but it has now been revealed to the church. What God has been up to and moving towards all history is summed up in Christ. And it has been delivered to us, to the church. So that's the word. Jesus as the word of God. But there's another word that means word. And it is, it refers to more spoken words or written words. And there's a cross between these two. At times they can interchange, just like we use words that interchange all the time. But I do think it's important to understand this difference. Now, here is how I have come to understand this complex issue of Jesus being the word of God. And yet we also talk about the Bible being the word of God. Okay. God's spoken words throughout history, including what he has written, which we have been preserved for us through the Holy Bible, speaks to God's eternal word, his son, Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. God's spoken words throughout history, including his written word, which has been preserved for us in the Holy Bible, speaks about God's eternal word, his son, Jesus Christ. So let's, pl- let's plug that in to understanding about, about Peter. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God, I believe this is referencing God's message about his son and his written word. And one simple question can make this clear. How is it that we have been born again through the word of God? It is because God's recorded word points us to Christ through whom we experience the new birth. You see, God has recorded the message about Jesus, his entire plan in the Bible. And so as we read the Bible, as we study the Bible, as we understand the Bible, it points us to Christ. And it is through Christ that we experience salvation. So when Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Both of these verses are equally true because verse 23 points to the true eternal word of the Father through whom we experience new life. So this whole discussion is meant to highlight the importance of God's written word. Because it is through his written word that we learn about the eternal word who gives us life to redeem us. And we see an example of this in scriptures. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege. And he says this about Timothy. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and finally believed, knowing from who you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. These continue in what you've learned. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings since you were a child. And it is through those childs that they made you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You've learned about 
who this Messiah was, how he was going to come. It taught you about God, the nature of God, how he works, what he loves, what he hates. And it prepped you for faith in Jesus. It pointed you to the way of salvation. It revealed to you who Jesus was. It is through the teachings of Scripture that we are made wise for salvation. God reveals himself through his word. He reveals his plan of salvation through his word. The salvation of a soul never happens apart from the message of the gospel that has been preserved in and through the Holy Scriptures. So why should we try to meet with God through his word specifically? It is because through his word, you have been born again. Apart from scripture, you would have no idea how to come to God. That's why you see all these other religions or people who do not have God's word grasp at almost anything they think is spiritual. Anything that will give them a a feeling that will make them feel more spiritual or that will be a spiritual experience, they grab onto that as though it was their life. But God has given a gift to mankind. And it's the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. And through it is by them, through them, that we learn who God is and it gives us the truth we need to believe in to experience salvation. But it's not just God has cause us to be born again through the scriptures. God sustains the Christian through the scriptures. Again, we'll turn to 1 Peter. Scripture is the means that God uses to sustain and nourish us in the Christian life. We see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, just a few verses down from what we talked about a minute ago, he says, like a newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into salvation. What is he talking about this pure spiritual milk? In the context, he's talking about the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Just as an infant desires the milk necessary for growth, so we too should crave for a regular diet of God's word in order to become mature Christians. Our progress and sanctification depends on our intake of God's word, a healthy diet of pure spiritual milk. The analogy of God's word being a sustaining food and drink is used over and over and over again in Scripture. Take Deuteronomy 8.3, for instance, where it says he humbled you. This is talking about the Israelites in the desert as they were wandering around seeking to enter the promised land. Moses says he humbled you, Israelites, causing you to hunger, showing you your weakness. You are just a man. You are just people. You have needs. You need to eat to survive. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then he fed you with manna, which neither you or your father had known. You had no idea what this was. And he did this to teach you 
that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Or take an amazing verse from Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Just as we need a regular diet of food to keep us physically healthy, so we should also feed daily on God's word for the sake of our own spiritual health. The food we consume with our mouths satisfies us temporarily. But learning from God's word has eternal value. So not only has God caused us to be born again to a living hope through his word by pointing us to Christ through his word, he also sustains us in the Christian life. He actually uses his word to cause us to grow. So if we're not in his word, if we're not seeking to meet with him through his word, we will become stagnant. And we will become in danger of shriveling up. It's amazing to me the illustration I gave a minute ago about meeting with God um, is like meeting with our family for um, for a Thanksgiving meal. It's like everyone gets hungry, and you kind of get to the point where, okay, when's dinner going to be ready? Because we're starting to get hungry, so you want to eat, but you're there because of family. Very, very few of us have ever experienced true hunger. God got the Israelites to a point where they were completely dependent upon him, and then he fed them. God's word is meant to sustain us. He gives it to us so that we can be spiritually healthy. And if we don't have an intake of it, we're starving. So I wonder how many of us are starving this morning? How many of us kind of gorge on Sunday mornings? We have Sunday school where we study God's word or study a book that leads us to God's word. And then we have a worship service where half of it almost is spent preaching and teaching God's word. But how many of us starve throughout the rest of the week? It's like we're binge eaters. We binge on Sundays hoping we can just get enough to make it through the rest of the week. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you. If you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, you need to have a steady diet of God's word. So next week we're going to talk about what are different ways. It's going to be nitty gritty. What are the different ways we can intake God's word? What are ways that we can actually make God's word a part of our daily lives so that we can have a steady diet throughout the week? Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you how you've made it to be such a central part of our lives. Lord, and I pray that it would be. I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word. Lord, that we can say with Jeremiah that when your word came to me, I ate it. I, I just... I. I gorged on it. I loved it. It was my joy and my delight. It filled me and satisfied me. It stimulated me emotionally and intellectually. Lord, I pray that you would give us a desire to love your word, that we would intake it so that we can know you more, grow deeper in our relationship with you, and worship you 
in spirit and in truth. Lord, I ask that you would do this so that we would glorify you in our daily lives. Amen. I want to invite you to respond to the, to the Lord however you see fit. You can stand and worship with us. You can sit at your um, seat and, and pray. You can come forward and pray with me or speak to me. You, feel, you respond to Christ however he's called you.